Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, July 21st. I'm Kevin Farrell in for Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, some Mississippi cities are breaking records, so we'll talk heat wave precautions with the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. And what does the B5 subvariant tell us about life going forward with the coronavirus? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. It's a record-setting summer, and the heat isn't expected to go away anytime soon. Yesterday, Jackson and Hattiesburg reported the warmest daily low temperatures on record, and the National Weather Service continues issuing heat advisory warnings for many parts of the state. With heat indexes reaching as high as 115 degrees, experts are urging residents to use caution when going outdoors to avoid heat-related illnesses. Allie Jasper with the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency shares more on heat management, with our Kobe Vance. We're just asking people to just realize that it is extremely hot outside. It is extremely dangerous, and you should take quick breaks if you can. If you don't have to be outside, don't do that, but stay hydrated as well if you do. I believe I saw the National Weather Service announced that in Jackson and in Hattiesburg, this week they matched their highest low temperature of a day. Um, which is in Jackson, it was 77 degrees, and that record has been set since the 1930s. And then in Hattiesburg, that record's been set since, like, the, I believe, 2019. What are your thoughts when you hear that, that it's that hot in Mississippi right now? Well, the heat is nothing new in Mississippi. We deal with it every single year, but it does seem to get hotter and hotter every summer. So the only thing that we can do as a state agency is tell people to prepare for that heat and be aware of it and make sure that they are considering their options when it comes to being outside. What are some ways people can prepare? Well, like I said, if you don't have to be outside, don't ha- don't go outside. Um, I think that another big thing is checking on your elderly neighbors, pets, things like that, that have no control over over the heat, and some may not have air conditioning, and those are the people that we need to be looking out for. Are there any places that people can go if they don't have air conditioning themselves and they want to get out of the heat? Now, some cities do have heat shelters. Um, the state does not have any heat shelters. That is city by city, but there are heat shelters in some cities that places that people can go to if they need to escape the heat. 
when it comes to water resources, what would your advice be on people to have on hand just in case it gets hot? Well, you are supposed to drink about an ounce of water per body weight. That is for every person every day. And if you're outside and sweating that out, you would at least double it. So just to be on the safe side, I would say a gallon or more per day if you're working outside, just to make sure that you're adequately hydrated. On the topic of people working outside, some people can't escape their jobs and they have to work out in the heat. What would your advice be to somebody who does have to go outside and face the heat during the day or somebody who has to go cut their grass on a weekend and has to be in the hot heat? Right. Sometimes being outside is completely inevitable, whether it is for work or things that you have to do around the house. So, of course, stay hydrated, wear light-colored clothing. You might want to have some water that you can splash on your skin just to keep that cool. Avoid the sun if you can at all from about 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Don't do any extreme exercise that could prevent, that could cause you to dehydrate. And another tip is to avoid any excess alcohol that could cause you to dehydrate. If somebody does feel like they're facing heat exhaustion or potentially heat stroke, what are some ways that they can uh, get in contact with you know, local emergency agencies to be able to help uh, get the help they need? Yeah, I'll preface that first with just some of the signs of heat exhaustion. If, if you have a headache, if you get dizzy or confused, if you lose your appetite or have excess sweating and start to feel pale or clammy, you might have heat exhaustion. And it can come on very suddenly or it can happen over a matter of days. So pay attention to your symptoms and make sure you are not suffering from heat exhaustion. Now, if you do come across someone who is suffering from heat exhaustion, move them to a cool place immediately, lay them down, get them water, maybe even a sports drink, like a high, like a Gatorade to keep them hydrated, and then put something on their skin to cool them down. If they are showing signs of just confusion, things like that, it might be a good idea to call 911 and get them seen so they can kind of get them hydrated quicker. Is there anything else we haven't talked about that you'd like to share with Mississippians, keep them aware about as they go through these you know, hot days of the summer? I would say just try to prepare, freeze some water bottles, make sure that you have water to drink, make sure that there is air conditioning in your neighbor's home, check on your pets, make sure you're not leaving children or pets in the car for too long. It's not anything to play with. Heat exhaustion and heat stroke are real and you need to be aware of it. Keeping pets or uh, children in the car, how important is it that Mississippians avoid that? Yes, um, there have been reports that a car inside in just minutes can reach temperatures of 130 degrees in just a few minutes. And to a small child or a pet who can't control that heat and how hot they're getting, it can be life or death. We've seen it happen, and that is what we are trying to make sure does not happen. So if you see something, say something, and Put something in your vehicle if you need to to remind you that there is a pet or a child in that vehicle. Allie Jasper is with the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. Allie, thank you for talking with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. 
An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell. The most transmissible subvariant of the coronavirus is putting its virulence on full display. In Mississippi, B5 has led to reported daily cases of COVID-19 more than doubling since June 1st. Dr. Bageshri Navakale is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. In part two of her conversation with our Michael Guidry, they examine life with and after B5. We are not seeing, as compared to previous variants, we are not seeing a high number of hospitalizations and deaths. Uh, We still have seen a rise in hospital numbers, uh, which we were expecting, which usually lags behind the case numbers for a month or so. Most of these uh, cases um, have been in the who are in the hospital uh, are still mild infection. Not all of them are requiring oxygenation. What we have seen so far is prior infection alone has not really made any change in terms of uh, helping with uh, decreasing the severity of infection as such. Uh, If they had prior infection, mostly that immunity which they have doesn't help to fight off against the current uh, BA5 uh, Omicron subvariant, which we are seeing among uh, in in those who are vaccinated, uh, the main thing which is helping currently is boosters. So even if somebody is fully vaccinated in the sense they receive their two or three doses of COVID vaccine, uh, then they are if they have not received their booster shots then they, we are still seeing that they are at, still at risk for developing uh, kind of a severe infection, hospitalization, uh, needing for oxygen. So that booster is the most important thing which we are focusing on right now and educating our patients uh, uh, to make sure that they, if they are eligible to receive booster, they should get their first or second booster shot as soon as possible. It seems that the Delta wave hit us last August. Um, now, that was prior to um, vaccines being readily available for some school-age children. Uh, but now vaccines are available for, for all school-age children. Uh, yet, we you know we can look at the CDC map and see places of high transmission. Uh, what are some some practices, whether whether they are school or district implemented practices where they're personally implemented practices uh, that can help relieve some of the transmission and even some of the anxiety uh, about about this disease as school you know looks to resume in a couple of weeks right so that's going to be a very uh, uh, important part of our uh, kind of transition on how our pandemic is going to go because children have been, as you mentioned, that they were not eligible for vaccination yet. However, they still uh, have developed infections. They have required hospitalizations. And in school, we have seen so many transmissions and outbreaks happening. So just like we talk about any holiday weekends where there is get-together, Schools have been a big part of this pandemic where transmission has readily occurred, especially from children to teachers and the other way around. Uh, I would say that uh, 
one uh, number one is still masking wearing a mask helps a lot we have seen that it works we have seen that it helps to uh, prevent and reduce transmission of infection uh, so if uh, any child who is 2 years and above uh, who can wear a mask especially in indoor settings where we know that uh, there is high risk for transmission uh, irrespective of how far you are from that infected person masking is going to certainly help a lot in reducing outbreaks within the school settings and then most important other is going to be vaccination so anybody who is eligible to receive vaccine so currently anyone 6 months and above are eligible to receive vaccine anyone who's 5 years and above and immunocompromised can even get a booster shot at this time so they everyone should be up to date with their vaccination preferably prior to starting schools because we know that uh, vaccination has helped to avoid that severity of disease vaccinations has also helped uh, to certain point to decrease the symptoms but not only that but the amount of viral load which is carried in vaccinated population is less than those who are unvaccinated and most other most important thing i want to keep emphasizing is testing the a lot of times we see that um the symptoms which are occurring are sometimes mild so getting ignored and uh, some tests are being done home tests so they are not getting reported so our case numbers are really not doing a justice on what the actual infection uh, rate is within the community so with in school population if anybody is sick or showing symptoms or getting exposed testing is going to be very important so that um, there would be less transmissions what causes um we've talked about these variants what causes this virus to mutate into all of these different form all of these different variants that we're we're, we're experiencing uh do, do these variants weaken over time or is there a potential for a more transmissible or even more lethal variant to emerge right so that's a difficult question and uh, i don't know if i i will have a complete answer or even i can predict for past 3 years we have done research we know a little bit more about this virus than we knew 3 years ago so definitely the uh, we have seen a lot of mutations and change in the virus the reason why these mutations happen is mostly when there is kind of a um, what do you call is, is intermixing of viruses which results in those mutations so somebody who might be carrying the virus for a very long time uh, and mostly this has been observed in immunocompromised patients who are known to call, carry the live virus for a very long time that can mutate uh same thing which has been observed at times in unvaccinated population where the virus could be uh, lingering in their system for a very long time and when that happens and they are exposed to uh, multiple different uh, virus types then that can result in intermixing and mutations can start emerging in those cases and that has been observed how the mutations have emerged from different parts of the world and have traveled across the globe 
so these mutations will keep happening because we continue to see uh, patients getting infected where the virus is lingering on for a long time we continue to see unvaccinated population who are getting this infections again and again and again uh, or even uh, some patients who get infected multiple times so this all is increasing the risk for more mutations to happen so but if just because mutations are happening doesn't mean all variants are going to be uh, really uh, causing severe disease or will cause a uh, lot of transmission what we have seen so far with the BA5 omicron subvariant this is the most transmissible one and this is 3 years down the lane in the pandemic that we are seeing the most transmissible variant which has emerged so there is no way that we can say what's going to happen in the future there is a possibility there will be more mutations there will be newer variants which could be more transmissible which could develop or result in more severe infections especially if we don't follow uh, recommendations for vaccinations one uh, maybe light at the end of tunnel what we are seeing with omicron the ba5 is as i mentioned that it's mild infection most of the cases where we are seeing less hospitalizations and deaths so hopefully if the virus continues to weaken like this where it was causing infection but not causing severe disease eventually it is going to turn into a common coronavirus which will circulate probably in our um uh, kind of in our community uh, all year along uh, or maybe seasonal uh, but we we don't know when that point will come Dr. Bageshri Navakale is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Coming up, a settlement leads to an $80 bill credit for Entergy customers. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell. Entergy customers will soon see an extra $80 credited to their bills. It's part of a $300 million settlement between the company and the Mississippi Public Service Commission following a dispute over rate charges at the Grand Gulf Nuclear Plant, where Mississippi Energy and other electric companies buy electricity. Public Service Commissioner Brent Bailey explains the settlement, which includes restitution for customers and provides future oversight of financial practices with MPB's Rhonda Dunaway. There has been numerous lingering pieces of litigation, challenges, um, other disputes or motions against System Energy Resources, which is a subunit of Energy Corporation and the owner of Grand Gulf Nuclear Station. And a lot of these had to do with uh, some accounting practices. They had questions regarding uh, the amount of profits, return on equity, how they uh, factor in certain depreciation rates and other um, other cost measures. 
and ourselves as well as some of our neighboring regulatory agencies um, felt it was in our best interest to dispute those and you know ensure that ratepayers are not being misdirected or overcharged or that the utilities themselves are not overprofiting. How will the the ratepayers, the customers, uh, see those benefits? So, uh, you know, the, the the total the settlement amount, the upfront settlement amount of two hundred and thirty five million dollars. Uh, we're going to apply approximately thirty five million of that to direct rebates in the form of a on bill credit or a check to that account holder for eighty dollars. The remaining 200 as part of the cash settlement um, is going to go toward backfilling in um, the, well, as you may know and been aware, natural gas prices have greatly increased over the last year and a half or so. And that has created a backlog of under-recovery as the pass-through costs of natural gas fuel prices have continued to escalate. And we're going to use that $200 million to offset those costs that accumula- accumulated on the side of energy and pretty much wipe those out back to zero for the most part. And that is going to avoid a rate increase that could have started in January of potentially $15 or more per customer. And, and some other things, uh, Entergy Mississippi or the Entergy Corporation is also going to fund to the tune of $150,000 a year to cover the fees of a consultant, an independent auditor who will continue to review the financial practices, um, the cost recovery mechanisms, et cetera, of Grand Gulf Nuclear Station and Siri. And we get to choose that auditor, and that cost is going to be derived from the shareholders of Entergy. Does Entergy have other options besides, I mean, is and Grand Gulf, and explain maybe, is Grand Gulf Nuclear Plant the best option, it is clean energy, um, or is it clean energy? I know that um, natural gas is another option. Are there other options for energy um, to purchase uh, electricity? Well, energy um, has multiple choices out there. They have a wider range of generation resources in their fleet. They own not just, um, you know, a received purchase or purchase power from Grand Gulf Nuclear Station. They also own or purchase energy from uh, coal resources, natural gas, as well as solar. Um, and they also, as part of the MISO market, the regional transmission organization, which covers 15 states, the city of New Orleans and the province of Manitoba, Canada, they also have access to the resources generated within that footprint. So, uh, Entergy has access to not just owned generation, but non-owned generation. And through the diversification of those resources, that what helps keep prices down for customers of Entergy. And we're probably going to continue to see a more diversified energy portfolio from, from all utilities, not just in Mississippi, but across the southeast and across the nation. And some of that is driven by internal, um, you know, internal goals to reduce carbon emissions, or even through public public policy established at the state and federal level. And we have economic developers who want to see these investments made in their county, and it helps them attract additional economic opportunities. And um, we want to continue to help facilitate that. 
you know, if that's what uh, the local local folks want. And we can sell this cost-effective energy into the overall markets while providing the investment benefits here at home. Representatives from Entergy say the company followed regulations appropriately. Vice President of Regulatory Affairs Jeremy Vanderloo believes litigation could have languished in courts for years, and the settlement offers relief to customers. And although we believe that um, we have treated these uh, these costs appropriately, we do recognize that there was value to our customers to settle now to provide these significant benefits at this point in time, and the commission was willing to um, to do that. The settlement also allows us certainty to move forward in a positive way on other issues that we'd like to address with our commission around resiliency of the energy grid, economic development, and other topics like that that are important to our state. And so um, this is not a question of us mishandling any of these costs, but it's a question of not understanding or uh, really knowing what FERC would do. And uh, again, given the time involved to get these to resolution, um, if we hadn't settled this case, it would have been many more years until we knew what the outcome would be. And we understand and recognize there's value to our customers in reaching this settlement now. Jeremy Vanderloo is Vice President of Regulatory Affairs for Entergy. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.